0: Hi, this is Jim Gold from Gallery, and I'll be the next guest on On Screen and Beyond.
1: On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now... Here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zimrak.
2: It's time to kick back for another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zimrak. This is episode 610 of the show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week on On Screen and Beyond, we go back into the world of music, back into time, back to 1972, in fact, or earlier than that. But uh, we are going to have a guest that's going to be joining us that had a hit song called "Nice to Be with You." I believe in music. Big City, Miss Ruth Ann, and the group was called Gallery. And Jim Gold was the one who founded the group, and he is here. He sang the songs, wrote some of them, and he's going to be here to talk about that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Those are great songs, and uh, if uh, you you get a chance, go ahead and listen to them. And uh, Jim Gold of Gallery is coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond, so get ready. And uh, we are in the holiday season, and it is now going full force. We've got some guests, we're lining up. Uh, We are going to have, I believe we're going to have another musical guest coming your way next week. Not positive. Things can change because things can pop up at the last second and I throw in something else. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of memories coming your way. And uh, the person we're going to have has had so many hits, uh, written so many hits it's, it's just unbelievable. So uh, get ready for that next week or whenever. And uh, let's see, what else we got here? Uh, it, why don't we get right into it? It's time for Remake Madness right here on On Screen and Beyond. Hang up and try again. Remake Madness, the retelling of the story of Dracula through the eyes of his assistant, Renfield, comes our way on April 14th. Now, Nicolas Cage, of course, is going to be Dracula in that film. And the film is called Renfield and gruesome horror remakes that of beloved childhood stories seem to be in development and it's kind of sad actually but there's going to be a horror bloody thing called winnie the pooh blood and honey there's also going to be one called bambi the reckoning and peter pan neverland nightmare Uh, i don't know what's happening but what's happening is that these movies and stories are becoming uh, into public domain Uh, the original story, so they're getting to use them for anything they want. So uh, that's it. That's Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming new movies. (laughs) Upcoming new movies. It looks like Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian, has joined the cast of a comedy film called The Uninvited. And it looks like uh, Owen Wilson will star in a comedy called Paint. Now, it's about a painter on public television in Vermont. And he's even got an afro. We'll see. (laughs) It sounds like something, but anyways. And you can look for Nicolas Cage in uh, January in A Gunslinger, Out for Revenge in the Old Way. And that's it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, sequels.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.
2: Sequels, it looks like Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. The sequel to Knives Out will be on Netflix on December 23rd with Edward Norton and Daniel Craig. Equalizer 3 with Denzel Washington arrives on September 1st, 2023. And Jungle Book 2 is being looked at and uh, it's coming our way, it looks like, on July July 2026. And that's it for sequels coming up next TV on DVD. TV on DVD, Pretty Little Liars, Original Sin. The complete first season arrives on DVD on February 28th, and it's available now on digital. And just uh, like that, the complete first season. Is a continuation of The Sex in the City. Hits DVD on December 13th and December 20th. House of the Dragon, the complete first season. It's going to be landing on DVD, Blu ray, and 4K. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD? Movies on DVD. December 27th, Lamborghini, the man behind the legend, with Frank Grillo, drives onto DVD and Blu-ray. Also on December 27th, Father of the Bride, with Andy Garcia and Gloria Stefan, comes to DVD. And January 3rd, Black Adam, with Dwayne Johnson, flies onto DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K. That's it for movies on DVD. Coming up next, not on screen to be on. It's TV and entertainment time. TV and entertainment time. Well, a revival of Frasier with Kelsey Grammer is coming to Paramount Plus, no date yet. Uh, Seth MacFarlane's Ted prequel TV series has finished filming and will re- be released on Peacock. And there again there's no release date yet on that. And Irene Cara of Fame and the singer of Flashdance has died at the age of 63. And this was this past week. And that's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we are going back with Gallery. Jim Gold is joining us. He's the founder of the band Gallery. They had the hit song, Nice to Be With You, I Believe in Music, Big City Miss, Ruth Ann. A lot of big hits. And he's coming up next. Great guy, Jim Gold, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Guest this week on On Screen and Beyond is a singer-songwriter who, back in 1972, gave us the hit song "Nice to Be with You" with the group Gallery. They continued with more hits, including "I Believe in Music" and "Big City Miss Ruth Ann." It's Jim Gold. Jim, welcome to On Screen and Beyond.
0: Hey, Brian. Thank you. Yeah. My well, pleasure should, being
2: or, here. Or should I say, it's nice to be with you.
0: <laughs> you could. <laughs> Not that it hasn't been said before I know, I know
2: You've probably heard that every single time you Well, you know it. what's
0: funny uh, When that record came out And of course you don't plan things like that But radio station guys used to say that It was a great opener song for their show When they first would come on the air mm-hmm. Yeah. And I never thought of it that way You know, it would just start Oh, it's so, you know, hell, oh, great so uh, that's, you know, it was kind of a nice little perk. Now,
2: how did you come up, since we're talking about that right off the bat, how did you come up with that song? Because you wrote this, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I wrote um, as much as I could for the gallery stuff. Usually uh, the two I did two gallery albums and two solo albums after that, and most of the time I'd try to write 75 to 80%. Of everything we did uh, because it was kind of the style was kind of set by the way I played and the type of things I wrote, so I had to kind of uh, uh, dig down and come up with them. Uh, nice to be with you. I was working a day job, of which I was really bored, so I was always daydreaming, and uh, just that line came into my head, and um, by the time I came home, I pretty much had it all together. I went in and grabbed my uh, acoustic guitar and just kind of finished it off. And uh, a lot of times you work on a song and you rewrite it and you rewrite it, but it was just one of them things that it just came out the way it was, and I really didn't make any changes to it at all. It was just one of those things. Hmm. Probably about a half-hour thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you wrote the song, were you, you know, using a guitar to, to do it, or a piano, or what, what were you doing? uh
0: Just uh, an acoustic guitar. I wrote just about everything on uh, this little acoustic guitar I had at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I was married, uh, we were married at uh, a, a young age, uh, 18, and uh, still are 57 years later. Congratulations. Which is pretty unusual, especially in this business. Yes. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, you know, it's one of those things where you didn't have a lot to work with. I, I, I'll bet that guitar was like $35 and probably didn't have a a steel string on it. It was, probably had plastic strings for all I can remember. <laughs> but it's one of those things where, you know, you use what you got, and if something's going to come out, it's going to come out. And that's that's kind of the way it is. You don't have to be playing expensive things. I didn't have a, a good tape recorder or anything like that, and I just put things down just so I could remember them. And uh, that's kind of, I mean, I would, send, I would send tapes to my producers and they'd say, well, Jim, I like all that stuff in the background, the toilets flushing and the uh, <laughs> the kids screaming and, uh, and what's on TV at the time. And every once in a while we hear a bit of a song in there. And I go... <laughs> I'd say, yeah, well, that's the way it is. So that's the way we worked, you know. Thank God these guys could hear things and what I was doing. So uh, we we were a good match, I think.
2: Wow. Huh. Now, was how long had you been together as a band before Nice to Be With You came out? Because that, that was really your first big yeah. wasn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. We weren't a band. Um, basically, gallery originally with me and a childhood friend of mine called Bill Portnova, We were playing these little clubs as a duo. Oh, yeah. And um, I asked uh, my producers, Mike Theodore and Dennis Coffey, I said, what what made you stop in this little club we were at? Because he said, well, you know, in them days, he said, you went out and you, you were looking for talent and looking for things in different places. And he said, we went by this little bar and saw this line going outside and we thought, well, I wonder what's going on here. We thought there was a real hot band in there. He said, and we go in and we see two guys standing on a little stage, you know, strumming some guitars, just singing anything that comes in their head. But yet there was all these people in there and they were actually dancing to what you were doing. And we thought, wow, there's something going on here. And they didn't approach me then. I moved to another place called the Poison Apple. It was in the Detroit area. And um, they followed us over there and brought their wives. And uh, so finally, I was in the back room, and somebody came in the back and said, Hey, uh, there's some guys here that want to talk to you. Well, you hear that a million times, so I almost didn't go out there. Wow. It's always like, oh, my uncle knows Ed Sullivan or, you know, (laughs) some some crazy ass thing. And um, so I finally thought, well, okay, I'll go out there. So I went out there and I recognized um, Dennis Coffey. He had a big hit also called Scorpio. Right. Remember that. And uh, so he was kind of a, a Motown session guy. And, um, but they were carrying around the song, Big City Miss Ruth by a local writer. And I think what they were trying to do was find somebody who could do the song because they wanted to record it. So they were just going from different places. And what we were doing seemed to fit their idea of how that song should be. So they asked me if I would take the song home And listen to it and see whether it was something I could do. So I did, and uh, I said, "Yeah." I said, "I, you know, I I think it's something we could do because we really hadn't established what the gallery sound was going to be." I pictured it as a combination of pop with a little touch of country. That was my idea, and the reason we had a steel, so much steel guitar on. the gallery stuff is because once again i mean i was a teenager i fell in love with sleepwalk oh, yes. by Santa and johnny yep. Yep. and i thought my god that guitar sounds like it's crying it sounds like it's got emotion mm-hmm. and it wasn't being played like a country steel guitar it was played like a pop record and, we mentioned- and um so I just filed that away, and so when we started, when we did uh, the first four songs, which was a demo that Mike and Dennis were going to finance, they said, "We got well, we got Big City, Miss Ruth, and it's up to you to come up with the other three. And if you can, we'll finance these four songs and see what happens." So when we started doing them, they said, well, look, we got a solo spot here for this nice-to-be-with-you song. Do you have any ideas? And I go, well, you're going to think I'm nuts. But I said, I'd like to hear a steel guitar there. And they said, what? Do you know what city you're in? (laughs) And I said, yeah, Detroit. They said, well, i got news for you. There's never been a record that's come out of this town that had a steel guitar on it, much less a hit. I said, well, you asked me. And I said, It's just something I think will make us a little different and give us our own sound and and so they luckily they went along with it. They went around, tried to find a steel guitar player, couldn't find one anywhere. <laughs> Finally went to the musicians union. There was one name under steel guitar. That's it. Wow. So they called us number and say, Well look, you know, we got three or four songs we'd like you to to play on, you know, would you be interested and come to the studio at a certain time. So they get there and they find out that the guy is a 15-year-old kid.
1: Hmm. Wow.
0: Now, they're thinking, oh my god, you know, I mean, what's what's going to happen here? So they kind of tell him what they want and this kid's like, he whizzes through it. I mean, he's a genius. Turns out, his name is Paul Franklin. When he graduated from high school, His parents moved to Nashville, and he became one of the most sought-after steel guitarists in Nashville. Wow. He's played on Brooks and Dunn, Shania Twain. Uh, He played on I Swear by John Michael Montgomery. I mean, he's been all over everything. And to think, we had this kid on this first record, and uh, I met him 40 years later when he was playing with Vince Gill. And we hugged, and I said, you know, because I wasn't there when he he cut the stuff. I never met him. Oh, wow. So now we have this big reunion, and I asked him, what was that like for you back then? I mean, being so young. And he says, well, I was really shy. He said, and I will tell you this. He said, I was really jealous when I saw you guys on American Bandstand the first time. (laughs) And I said, well, you know, of course, I mean, you know somebody's playing your part, oh, right? And this and that. But I said, you know what, Paul? I said your dad made the right decision. I said you were too young to get involved in that. And I said you moved to a town where you could really do some work. And look what t- turned out. I said, you know, you you know everybody, you play with everybody. I said he's going out with Dire Straits. I mean, he's wow. He's done everything. Jeez. And I told him how proud of him of him I was. I said, you know, and uh, uh, he said, well, you know what? He said, playing on Nice to Be With You got me a gig with Barbara Mandrell. He said, I didn't say anything about it. Like I said, I was shy. And he said, um, somebody in the band found out and they said, is it true that you're playing on that number one pop record, Nice to Be With You? And he said, yeah. Yeah. So Barbara Mandrell came up to him and said, why didn't you say that? Do you know what that means? I mean, for you, to give you credibility and stuff. So apparently, according to him, they used to do the song once in a while in her live show just so he could play it. Wow. So, and when Barbara Mandrell and her sisters had uh, that variety show for a while, a couple years, the second year they opened with Nice to Be With You, and I just happened to catch it. Huh. Else, I wouldn't have known about it, yeah. you know. Uh, and I was thrilled. I mean, I, that was the first time I ever heard anybody else do any of my things, and um, so it was. Uh, it was an amazing kind of coincidence how all that fell together, yeah. you know.
2: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that the Barbara Mandrell show because uh, probably a couple months ago I had uh, Sid and Marty Croft, who were uh, the the creators of the Barbara Mandrell show. And,
0: uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. They, they were, did the puppet stuff, too, didn't yeah, they? Yeah,
2: yeah, but they, yeah. But Barbara Mandrell was one of their shows, and they, they talked about it. They didn't talk about that incident that you just did, but it's, uh, right. it's just uh, funny that, the, that you brought that up.
0: Yeah, yeah, isn't it? Small it's a world. small world. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, when you get talking with people, you realize how everybody's connected in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's really a strange thing.
2: Yeah, so, so th- with that song, uh, it, I mean, that really blew you into the spotlight all over the world, right? I mean, that, that song yeah. was everywhere.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny, because someone asked me the other day, they said, uh, does that record still get played? And I said, yeah. I said, I get my BMI sheets in the mail, and I said, it's still getting played all over the world. I said, you know, who would think? I mean, this year is 50 years. Wow. And... If anybody would have said to me that anything I would have done 50 years ago would still be getting airtime anywhere, I mean, it goes to show you that music never dies. It's always out there. I mean, I I tell people, I said I have no control of that. I said, you know, when songs are done and they go out there, they have a life of their own. I said, there's nothing you have to do to it anymore. People love it or they don't love it, or it brings back good memories them, or whatever the case may be, and you know, that's it. It's, that's an amazing part of the whole music thing. Yeah, but
2: there are songs that have come out, gone up the charts, may have gone very high on the charts, but we won't hear them again, you know, in 10, in 10 years you won't even yeah. know the song, <laughs> but, but yeah. if it's a good song, I mean, you got a great hook on the beginning of the song that catches right. you right off the bat
0: Right, right.
2: And then it's it's a it's a nice
0: song. <laughs> well, you know... It's a good song. You know what it is, uh, and and some of the letters when people get on my website and stuff, they'll, they'll write such nice things. I mean, it really touches me to the point where I've, I've read dumbsing things and actually just sat there and cried.
1: Mm, wow.
0: Because it's just so... You know, because you think, what an amazing thing to be able to touch people. Just even for three minutes, you're in somebody's life, and like people have said, oh man, I woke up in a bad mood, Jim, and you know, uh, the song came on the air, and it was just so happy sounding, it made my day the rest of the day, Mm -hmm. and it's just little things like that, or one girl told me how her and her dad, when she was little, used to drive out in the desert and had a... A cassette, not a cassette, but an eight-track, oh my God, uh, of the first album. And she said, that was our thing. We'd go and out and listen to it. And um, she says, then we, we got estranged from each other for a lot of years. She says, I won't go into all that, but she says, one day your song came on the radio and I called my dad and we made up. Wow. So it's just lots of little... Stories like that that just make you feel so humbled by being able to do that. Yeah, you know, I mean, it uh, it, it just never ceases to amaze me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's
2: it's funny because uh, your song "Nice to Be with You" mm-hmm. and uh, also uh, Daniel B- Daniel Daniel Boone's beautiful sunday yeah yeah those two songs I back in in that year <laughs> that, yeah. that it came out I used to I was in high school and I used to pole vault and I would go there you know on a Saturday or Sunday after when the school was <clears> closed <throat> but I had access to the pole vaulting stuff so I would spend my time and I'd put my little radio out there and I'd listen to music and those two songs were the ones I remember the most of, of huh. that time period
0: <laughs> well, that's funny
2: yeah Jeez. So, now, I believe in music. Yeah, was that before or
0: after Mac Davis sang it? Um, I you know what? I'm not really sure. What I do know is that he had released it three times and it's stiff three times. Really? Wow! And it, um, my producers didn't want to do that song. Really? Um, We were short a song or something. I had been playing it in the club, and I said, well, what about I Believe in Music? They said, oh, man. They said, you know what? Everybody has cut that song. Uh, Kenny Rogers, Elvis, B.J. Thomas, you know, they've all done album versions of it. But they said it's what we call a a jukebox hit where people go and play it on a jukebox, but they don't go and buy it.
1: Hmm.
0: And I said, well, it's going to be an album cut. I said, so... Let's just do it different than everybody else did it. Everybody else did it kinda of up tempo. We'll just slow it down and, and you know, then they came up with that synthesizer part in the middle which really shocks you when that comes flying right. in. Yeah. So, um they said, Well, okay. So, nice to be with you is this giant hit and then the record company says, Well, we're gonna follow it up with I believe in music and I go, Oh no, you know, no, that's that's not a good idea because, you know, I was scared because what they all said. So as it turned out, it worked out in our favor because we ended up with the only hit single version of that song that was ever recorded. Hmm. So it showed that we could do one of my songs and then make a hit out of somebody else's song also by doing it our own way in our own style. So it actually worked out in our favor. Wow. Huh. Uh, the, the one funny thing... Uh, was that I changed the line in the song, not on purpose, because I couldn't understand what was being said on the record I was copying the words off of. So I said something else. Now, years later, uh, Mac Davis gets on a Tonight Show, and I forget who was the host, and I'm watching. And they said, well, we know you wrote songs for Elvis and Bobby Goldsboro and all these people. And, uh, you know, who who have you written songs where somebody that we wouldn't know as well uh, had a hit with? It? He said, well, there was this little group from Detroit area. They did my song and changed my favorite line in the song. So I'm cringing on the couch, <laughs> going, oh, man. So a couple of years, well, not even a year later the people that managed Mac Davis and the Osmonds, there were three guys named Katz, Callen, and Leffler. They flew out to my little ranch house that me and my wife had and wanted to sign me up to a management contract. So I said, would you please tell Mac that I didn't mean any harm? <laughs> you know, I know I should have found the real words, but we didn't know anything. And in days we just did what, what you thought, and that's it. And so they they'd laughed and they said, uh, we just told Mac, look, Mac, don't be upset. Just wait for the mailman and sit at home. <laughs> so that was the bit, you know, so I laughed, you know, and they, they smoothed it over and this and that. But uh, uh, it was just kind of a funny situation. And then when Mac died, when was it, last year or the year before, yeah. there's a lot of people that uh, called me and, you know, asked me about, I believe, in music and all that, so. Yeah. So, d- d- do you
2: remember the words that you
0: changed? Um, his line was, um, let's see. God loves you, love you when you sing. Mm-hmm. Was the end of it. And mine was something about, uh, look to the sky and tell me what you see or something, which sounds nothing like that. <laughs> and, but to rub dirt in the wound, I hear the letterman do, I believe in music, and guess whose line they use? Mine. <laughs> so now, everybody thinks that's the definitive version, that must be the right version, and they don't sing his line so no far. <laughs> oh, jeez. And I went, oh my God, this just keeps getting worse. Now, did you ever get the chance to meet Mac? No, I didn't. No, never did. No, no, I didn't. I wish I would have, but uh, I never did, no. Uh, the only one I met that uh, there was another guy at the same time that was trying to sign me, Gun Campbell's manager. Oh, yeah. I did meet Glenn. There was a, uh, a huge, huge supper club in Canada in Windsor called the Elmwood Casino years ago. And they had big names coming there. I mean, God, they had uh, Tom Jones and uh, just... I think Sinatra might even went there once. Sammy Davis and uh, big, big places. Yeah. Just an old style type, huge supper club, and um, so I was invited over to meet Glenn Campbell, um, and um, so his manager drove back to my house afterwards, and we talked and everything for a while, and uh, but um, you know it's it's funny. Because both these guys were kind of giving me the same lines, you know, about what they were going to do and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And it gets very scary at that point, because now they're into percentages of you, and and you're thinking... For me, it was a little different. I mean, I, I told the three young guys, uh, they had a lot of energy, and I probably should have went with them, because... Uh, later on, it turns out that when they split up, one guy named Sandy Gallon went with um, Dolly Parton, became a big partner of hers, and Michael Jackson.
2: Those are some so all these say.
0: guys later on in their careers were very well connected everywhere. Mm-hmm. And these guys were sitting there as 30-year-old guys in my house talking to me. Yeah. Wow. So... I ended up not going with them only because, at the time, Glenn Campbell's manager said, well, look, I won't even make you sign anything with me. Let me show you what I can do first. Well, that appealed to me. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the record company was going under, which I didn't know at the time. Uh, Uh, So I think what happened was, you know, this guy was an older gentleman, you know, and, and he probably looked at all this and thought, oh, my God, you know. Now I'm going to have to find Jim a new label and do this and do that. And and maybe it was too much work for him at the time. I don't know. But the whole thing kind of blew away. Um, Plus, the other three guys, I was real honest with them. You know, I'm probably the only guy they ever talked to that ever was that honest with them because when they told me, I said, Look, I know you're going to want to work me to death at the beginning, but I have to be honest with you and tell you, You know, I have two little kids. I said, my daughter's own at that time, when the record came out, she was like two years old. She was born in 1970. And my son was born in 66. I said, look, I am not, not going to jeopardize my family for a career. I said, I have to tell you that up front. I said, I'll do so much, but that's it. I said, when it gets to the point where... I lose them over this, I said, I can't I can't do that. Yeah. So the guy looked me right in the eye and he smiled and he said, Jim, you know what? That is the most honest answer I've ever heard in my life. He said, because most guys will sell their mother <laughs> to get a chance like this. And you just pretty much said, you know, I can't do this or... You know, I'll do it so far, and that's it. And he said, you know what, I respect that. He said, I really do. He said, because this business is not filled with people who are all that honest with you. Yeah. And I just said, well, that's the way it is. And you know what, I have absolutely, I'm sure you'll talk to a million other guys who have these regrets and blah, blah, blah. I have none. Hmm. I mean, I lived the fantasies I had when I was a kid. I wanted to, when I was going with my wife when we were young, she said, what are your, what are your dreams? What do you want? I said, you know what? I want to write a song. I want to hear it on the radio. I want to have a gold record, and I want to be on American Bandstand. I did all of them. Yeah. And that, to me, if it would have ended at that point, I would have still been happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I think God... Looked at me in some way and said, "This boy wants this so bad. That's he's dreamed about. All he spent all his time in his room writing and learning. And I'm going to get him in there, give him what he wants, and pull him out before he gets destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the way I looked at it, you know. And I was very happy to have done what I did. I'm in the music history books for for that period of time, and I'm I'm just. Extremely happy about that, I you know, and when I go out once in a while and and play, and I see people moulding the words back to my songs and stuff, it's just, it's just that's it for me, yeah. you know. I mean, I don't want anything else.
2: Yeah. It must be quite a thrill, though, to see that you know, like you say, fifty years later, people are still singing along. They know the words.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know what? I didn't play for a lot of years. Well, there was a few reasons. My wife had uh, uh, brain aneurysms and uh so there was a long time where she i mean she was lucky in a lot of ways. she came back like ninety seven percent I mean there's a lot of people we knew that have had that kind of thing done, and they come back you know with a stroke or they can't walk or they gotta learn to talk again and and she was outside of uh her uh being a little wobbly on her feet from time to time in other way in a, in almost every other way she was fine but i still had to you know take care of watch over and uh so that's uh so I, I didn't do anything for a long time then i would do a, an oldie show once in a while and i realized how much fun that was and i started taking her with me and uh, so we met so many people that I grew up listening to because they because of the style of music I was doing the happy stuff of it they put me in with a lot of '60s people, uh-huh. yeah. and so I would you know go out with Gary Lewis and uh, oh, yeah. uh, Sonny Geraci from the Outsiders and he did uh, Precious and Few and and even Billy J. Kramer, I mean I was riding in a car with him through Oklahoma and he was telling me all these stories about the Beatles, and all that stuff, and I was fascinated, yeah. you know, I mean, it was, everybody that I met, even all the way back to Jimmy Clanton,
1: yep. Yep.
0: Uh, I would, you know, I was thirsty for everybody's story, you know, I mean, I couldn't wait to hear, yeah, how this happened for you, I mean, same thing we're doing now, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and people are interested in that, they really are, I mean, um, I was at some place the other day, and I was talking some and I started telling some stories and This woman said, "You know Jim, I could listen to that all day long because people don't understand or know what that's like, mm-hmm. and when you lay it out there and say, This is the way it is, she said, I'm fascinated, you know so um actually, we did a show last week for about I don't know, 150 people. It was almost like a coffeehouse setting. I went in with a couple guys, and I thought it might be fun just to do a real intimate kind of thing, mm-hmm. where people were sitting a few feet from you in chairs. So we did it, and it was so amazing. I mean, these people were just... I mean, they had brought old memorabilia for me to sign, and this one guy says, I've waited 50 years to hear you sing live. And I mean, it was just, I mean, I walked out of there on a cloud, you know, it was like, I mean, God, you know, I really, since I hadn't done it so long, I really kind of took myself out of that realm, not realizing how much people still love this stuff, and they were still hungry for this light, pop, happy music that made them feel good, you know, and there's, you know, and it's not out there right now. Right,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: And they're missing it. You know, and, and they wanna hear it again. So I you know, I had uh, it was a really good experience. So I'm gonna start doing some more things, I think.
1: Great. Now
0: and I'm writing a lot of stuff. Oh yeah So nice. I got a whole ton of songs laying there that um uh, I'm really, really happy with. I mean, I think they're great songs and I think they're still uh Matter of fact, my old one of my old producers, Mike Theodore, uh, he asked to hear some of them, and he says, "Oh my God, Jimmy He said, "This stuff is great, man." He goes, "He said, send me the tracks." So he bumped them up on his computer, and he started moving things around and producing them. And all of a sudden, you know, he, you know, he started coming out with some really interesting sounding stuff. So we're really, I think, he's going to put together a CD of all well, at least nine or ten of my new things. That's great. And just to see if somebody would be interested in distributing this. I mean, I have no, you know, at the stage I am in life, I mean, I have no, I mean, you hear some of these guys talk about, like, making comebacks and stuff. You know, I'm not so much interested in that, but I would like people to hear what I'm doing now and what I have done and whatever form that takes i mean if we have to sell things like that on on the website or whatever that is i mean that's fine but i think i think people would be surprised by some of it
1: yeah wow
2: Now, Jim, you mentioned at the very beginning that yeah. the the guys that had come to see you were looking for somebody to sing "Big City Miss Ruth Ann," right? Which actually was your third hit song. Yes, uh, yes. So, how did you know? How did that go? I mean, why did they wait a full year almost or whatever before they they released that one?
0: Um. I don't know. You know, uh, most of that happens with the people at the record company. I mean, I I find I don't really have, I didn't have, the only one I knew when they played the first few songs back and Nice to Be With You, uh, Mike had got the idea to add the bells in the background Mm -hmm. and these little touches that he did. And when I heard it back the first time, I just looked at him and I said, you know what, I may know nothing, but that's a hit song right there. I said, I don't know why, I don't know what it is, but there's something intangible that I can't tell you why I feel that way. I said, but I think this thing would sound great on the air. And they looked at me and they said, we feel the same way. Now we've got to get the record company say that that's the one. And they did, thank God. So that was the one that I knew for sure was the one we should start with. Um, Big City, I think maybe at the beginning they were thinking of that as the first one.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: But um, that's, you know, I mean, like I say, I think they they sit around some table and play the new releases and and say, "Well, you know what do you guys think and you know whoever decides these things because I really didn't have a lot of say in it because there's some of the songs I did on the album that like one one of the ballads that I would have liked to have put out because I think I had some really nice ballads on there and um uh and it shows that now because in my in my statements that I get. It shows that they're discovering some of the other songs off the albums, and they're being played in some of the other countries. So oh, good. Uh, yeah. So that's nice, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, Jim, I want to finish up with one final question,
2: or actually, I'm going to throw in two or three here, but all in one question. Okay. Actually. As far as
0: music, yeah.
2: What What is and was your favorite songs uh, or groups that you grew up with?
0: I had very eclectic taste. I mean. Um, I would listen to uh, remember when Andy Williams had his variety show I oh, yes. would watch that.
1: Yes, me too.
0: Just to see him sing. He'd sit on this stool.
1: Yep.
0: And and in that portion and see the Osmonds and different people and mm-hmm. and I would listen to him. I would listen to um I think one of the first so-called rock and roll records that I thought was rock and roll that I bought when I was a kid was singing the blues by Guy Mitchell. Yeah. So I was listening to The Ventures, I was listening to San and Johnny, I was listening to um, just about everything that was out there. I was kind of soaking it in. And when, I, when someone says, well, well, if you had to define a couple of different artists, where would you put yourself? I said, okay, I'm a combination of Buddy Holly, uh, Ricky Nelson... Um, Gene Pitney, who nobody really mentions Yeah, I remember that him. much. And I love Gene Pitney. He's got such a bizarre voice, really. I mean, really high-pitched and, and strange, but you know it's him. And he had a lot of great records, but I never hear him that much on the radio, even now. I like him. And um, actually, that's how I went over uh, my wife, because when we were 15 or 16, I found out she was a big Ricky Nelson fan, and I hurriedly... <laughs> learned every Ricky Nelson song I could find to win her over that way. And it it, it kind of worked. You're sneaky, <laughs> so, You're sneaky. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, little Elvis, a little, you know, uh, all the people that were happening at the time in the early, early days, I was taking it all in. And somewhere in between all that, I formed my own sound, which was really important to me because... I hear a lot of artists, and I say, well, and you know who they're copying, because you can tell. Exactly. And I said, I don't want that. I want my own style. And when someone hears a gallery record or something I've done, that they know, they can't say right away, oh, this sounds like so-and-so, you know? Yeah. I mean, and that was really always important to me.
2: Well, the other question was... um, what are your favorite TV shows? What are you watching? What was your now? favorite now and in the past? And what are your favorite movies now and in the
0: past? Wow. Mm. Just a Well, same. I don't go to the show anymore. I was a big um, big uh, tape fan and, uh, you know, go to the video store kind of guy. Yeah. And uh, uh, now, to tell you the truth, even now, I go to the library. And they get all the new releases. Mm-hmm of movies and stuff, and I, I'll get a whole week's worth in one day, and I'll just, we'll watch one a night. So we're big movie fans. Yeah. We watch a little, and once again, my taste is, you know, um, we'll watch an action movie, but then we'll watch a, a, you know, a romantic comedy, or we'll watch, whatever is good, I'll watch. Yeah. I mean, I know, I mean, even my son, I laugh about that, all he does is watch these uh uh, rock'em, sock'em kind of movies, you know, <laughs> and I said, man, I feel sorry for your wife if she's got to put up with that crap every night. <laughs> so I, like I say, and then I watch a Hallmark thing mm-hmm. and sit there and go, because they're so nice. Once again, you know, there's the word, uh, and they got the nice endings, and it's about some relationship that comes together or something, and, and I mean, and as far as records, like, one of my all-time favorite records, and if you have never heard this record, you need to go look for it and listen to it. Because to me, it's one of the best written, and and it's totally an emotional... It's a guy by the name of Colin Ray.
2: Yes, yes, yeah, country singer.
0: It's called Love Me.
2: Mm-hmm, yes.
0: I have heard that song, and I'm not kidding, hundreds of times. And I can still sit in the car when that comes on, and my wife won't, we won't look at each other because we'll be crying. <laughs> that song gets to us every time, and we try and fight it. But but it's such a great story, which is great about country songs, when they're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's just such a great story, and, and his performance is, is, is just great. And years later, once again, out of coincidence, we were in Nashville, Went to the Grand Ole Opry. Didn't know it. Colin Ray was on the show. What does he sing? Love Me. Okay. We just looked at each other like, I don't believe this is happening. <laughs> I mean, you know, so I really run the gamut for I don't, you know, I mean, there's a lot of music now I don't like. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, uh, and I can't even watch these award shows anymore because I just don't relate to anything mm-hmm. that's going on. Yeah. It's all about having the least amount of clothes on and, you know, saying the same line 500 times to some beat. I mean, I just, Mm -hmm. I can't relate to that. I mean, if you grew up listening to great songs, and I think the era that we grew up in was the greatest.
1: Oh, yeah. I agree. I mean, you're
0: never (laughs) going to see groups or hear songs like that again. And that kind of saddens me because what are these kids growing up with now? But, you know what, I, I do think they look back and and they listen to the Beatles and they listen to uh, these people, you know, that, that had all these great records and all this great songwriting. And I think they're always going to keep that alive because they're going to be curious about where did all this come from.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: And that's important.
1: Yeah,
0: It's like uh, I finally met Santa and Johnny and told them the story of how, I wanted to, and he was really humbled by that. You know, he said, Jim, he said to me, and it's so true, he said, we're all standing on each other's shoulders. I'm standing on the ones that came before me. He said, you stood on mine, somebody's going to be standing on yours, and that's how things evolve. And uh, it's just a cool, you know, I mean, it was was a great thing to be a part of, you know, and uh, I was just one of these guys who, had a hard time believing I was just the kid next door who had these fantasies about doing something that had happened to and uh sometimes I still have a hard time believing it
2: yeah well, you know and we the listeners enjoyed what you gave us, and we thank you so much for uh you know giving us that music because it meant a lot to a lot of people
0: oh yeah i'm i'm like i say it's uh it's 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 been great and i and, uh, like I say, you know, I get all this stuff, by the way, if, if people are interested in going on the website, it is just jimgold.org. That's the official Jim Golden Gallery website. So there's, there's songs in there. There's, uh, some live footage. There's, uh, pictures and, and things like that. And, um, I have this girl who runs it for me and, uh, she takes care of things for me and watches out for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's, if she feels like someone's trying to get at me and there's something don't sound right, she'll call me and say, oh, I don't know about this, Jim. I'm not going to send this to you. So it's, it's pretty <laughs> funny. But uh, it's uh, like I say, it's, it's been a pleasure for me. And if, if I've made one person out there happy or smile for a couple minutes, then I've done my job. You've you know?
2: definitely done it, Jim. And uh, I, I just got to tell you, I thank you so much for taking the time to join us here and share. Oh, with us. my
0: pleasure! I'm I'm glad that you got a hold of me and wanted to do it.
2: And uh, and I I I got to end with this line. Uh, it's been so nice to be with you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you, Brian. Thanks for the time, and thanks to uh, all the people that uh, will listen to your shows and stuff, and. Um, I thank them from the bottom of my heart, and um, uh, I love them all. and uh, And thanks for keeping the music alive. That's what it's uh, like. Mac Davis said, "Hey, I believe in music. I believe in love. I believe in the love of music. That's what it is."
2: There is Jim Gold of the band gallery and the hit nice to be with you i believe in music big city miss ruth ann just the, you know a lot of great songs there and, and check out his albums because he's got some really good stuff on there too and uh, you can check those out and uh we just uh, want to thank him so much for joining us here at on screen and beyond and sharing with us and bringing back memories and everything so i uh, want to thank him well, it, uh, <laughs> we've had quite a few episodes in the last week here. Uh, and uh, we have uh, the, the next one is going to be in a week. It'll be on a Monday. That's when it'll come out. And uh, not the regular Sunday night ones. We'll have it on Monday instead because uh, the interview is not till Monday. So uh, we will get that right out for you as soon as we do it. And, uh, but like I say, you never know, we could get something that pops up in between and we have to put it out too. So, uh, we'll see what happens, but, uh, hopefully we'll be back on the regular routine that we do here once a week here at On Screen and Beyond, but, uh, always enjoy giving you more and more interviews here right here on On Screen and Beyond. So uh, if you have a suggestion for somebody you'd like to have on here, whether it be a musician or a uh, uh, actor from a movie or TV show that you enjoy or uh, have enjoyed in the past, we always like to give a try to see if we can get those people on. And uh, if you send it to me, send it to me at feedback at OnScreenAndBeyond.com and we will see what we can do about getting that person on. And uh, also, uh, tell a friend about On Screen and Beyond. That's the best way to get more and more people to listen to On Screen and Beyond. The more people we have listening to On Screen and Beyond, the more these people will want to come on to On Screen and Beyond. So it's like a vicious circle, and uh, we want to just keep it going and going. So uh, tell a friend and uh, download all the episodes and listen to them and uh, just keep our numbers up, and we will get more guests here for you right here on On Screen and Beyond. So uh, thank you so much for that and love hearing from you. And there again, you can send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. I read everything that comes through. And uh, that's it. That's a wrap for this episode of On Screen and Beyond. So until next time, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care.